Marcus Paul, almost a public figure. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Right across Australia. On the iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio apps. The biggest issues. The biggest guess. Marcus Paul in the morning starts now. Well, good morning. Nice to have you company. Welcome to Wednesday. It's Marcus Paul here. Apologies for the absence yesterday. I just wasn't feeling well and uh, and, and on top of that, um, had an unbroadcastable voice. Kind of. Anyway, I'm back today. Uh, still not 100%, but um, I wanted to get back on, share my thoughts with you on last night's budget handed down by Josh Frydenberg. Possibly, hopefully his last. Anyway, we'll see how it all plays out. I'll go through... Look, I don't want to bore you with all the the figures. I'll go through some of the most important announcements, including one, one uh, that was dropped or leaked, if you like, uh, before Mr. Frydenberg opened up the books, as is always the case. It's the way it works. Well, we've got a really good announcement here. I want... You know, I want to get this across in the news. So before I actually make the official budget announcement, I'll email my mates at News Corp and all the rest of it and and let people know we've increased the tax offset. And that's what they did, which is good news anyway. Um, It goes up from just over, what, a thousand bucks to fifteen hundred bucks, an increase of four hundred and twenty dollars, I think it was. Yeah, from one thousand and eighty. Anyway, I'll go through that detail. That was one of the significant announcements last night, along with a, you know, a batch of promises, which you know is not just unique to this government, but all of them do it. Uh, but in particular, uh, this one is chock full of uh, promises ahead of the next federal election, which I hope Scott Morrison calls by Friday. Fingers crossed, we'll see what happens. Uh, Other issues to bring up, including should mobile phones be available in secondary schools in New South Wales in particular? I think they they shouldn't, uh, certainly not in classrooms. Anyway, um, we'll see what uh, your thoughts are on that, and I'll go through a couple of the stories. Uh, Mental health spending, there is an issue, New South Wales in particular. uh, Bureaucratic red tape is getting in the way of protecting children from cyberbullying, I'll get through the detail as to why. Why in New South Wales are we having issues in protecting our kids where in other states and jurisdictions they have memorandums of understanding that enable a better service to protect vulnerable Australians. Anyway, I'll, I'll get to that story as well. Uh, I'll go through some letters from the editor, uh, or to the editor rather, <laughs> that have been in the newspapers. Always interesting to see what people think. I call it talk back by print. And I will also give you my hot take on the whole Will Smith incident. <laughs> Slap. Um, look, I think Will, look, without giving too much away, but Will Smith would have been far better served grabbing his wife's hand, getting up and walking out. If he, if he was that pissed off, if he was that upset, He would have been better, as I say, he would have made a much bigger statement, getting up, grabbing his wife's hand and saying, we're out of here. Imagine that, when they came to announcing uh, the the winner for the best actor, Oscar, you know, he wouldn't have been there. Sir Richard, where are you? Uh, No, he's gone. Will Smith's gone. What a bigger headline that would have been. Will Smith, unavailable to collect his, you know, his Oscar because he's annoyed that some comedian... Oh, I don't mind, Chris Rock's okay, but did he go too far? 
Well, I don't know, to be honest. Uh, some are suggesting he didn't know that Will Smith's wife suffered a medical condition. I don't believe that for a moment. Um, they were apparently tight, or used to be. Of course he would have known. And he knew exactly what he was doing because that's what hosts do at the Oscars. It is a roasting night. Not always, but usually. I mean, look at Ricky Gervais. When he hosted the Oscars, everyone in the room got a roasting. And nobody slapped anybody. All right, well, there's a few things I'll talk about this morning. Stick with us. We're here until 9am, 7 till 9am Australian Eastern Standard Time, here on the iHeartRadio app, on TuneIn, and, of course, starterfm.com.au. All right, welcome back on this Wednesday morning. It is the 30th day of March. Nice to have your company. Well, 10 million of us have been promised a tax break in last night's federal budget in a bid to address soaring costs of living. Now, how are you eligible? Well, you need to earn under $126,000 a year and you'll see an increase in that tax offset of some $420. It was sitting at just over $1,000. Now, it's $1,500. So those earning up to 126k a year will receive this one-off payment, this one-off measure, apparently to help ease the cost of living pressures. Uh, Now, this payment, as we know, was introduced as a temporary measure back in 2018, but it has been extended during the pandemic. So not only, uh, because the government was being coy about this, remember? Uh, I talked about it on Monday. Josh Frydenberg hadn't confirmed whether the government would keep this offset let alone increase it, but they've done both. Anyway, it will be available after the 1st of July once you lodge your tax return, okay? So that's one of the big announcements from last night. Uh, Also, so far as childcare is concerned, well, we know the childcare costs have continued to rise, but subsidy changes have been brought forward from July the 1st to March 7. The $1.7 billion program means an expected quarter of a million families will be $2,200 a year better off. Now, the government is hoping that this will get more parents back into work and will cost $224 million this financial year and $670 million a year ongoing. Now, the government has announced an additional $40 million in funding over the next four years to preschoolers. Children in all states and territories will have access to 15 hours of preschool a week, worth around $1,340 per child. Uh, As expected, defence spending, uh, that played a significant role in last night's budget with the war in Ukraine and mounting tensions with China. Australia's defence spending uh, will soon reach around $50 billion a year, or just over 2% of gross domestic products. Of course, the Defence Minister Peter Dutton let the cat out of the bag last Thursday when he announced $875 million in investment in 234 defence projects across the country, involving upgrades and sustainment works across major sites, as part of the plan to continue to strengthen the nation's sovereign defence capability. Now, another big announcement so far, um, so far as infrastructure is concerned, 
all states and territories are set to benefit from the government's $17.9 billion cash splash on infrastructure spending. Queensland, uh, as far as I can tell, is probably the biggest winner, receiving $3.9 billion toward 43 new projects and five pre-existing. New South Wales and Victoria will each receive $3.3 billion for dozens of projects as well. South Australia, $2.8 billion. WA, $2.1 billion. Tasmania, $639 million. Uh, the ACT, $51 million. And the Northern Territory, some $361 million. Now, of course, we had that pre-budget announcement of a $2.26 billion commitment to complete Adelaide's North-South Corridor in partnership with the SA government, a tri-state $678 million investment dedicated to sealing the Outback Way. That will mean Southern WA is connected to far west Queensland. Regional bridges across the country will be upgraded as part of a $40 million plan to keep freight moving and supply chains open over the next four years. Regional airports will also be given $27 million for their upgrades. Now, seven priority gas infrastructure projects have been identified, which the government has pledged $50.3 million to accelerate. In Queensland, $5.4 billion was committed to fund Hell's Gate in the state's west, while down south the federal government will put $667.8 million toward the $1.8 billion city deal made with the state government and local councils, which will be instrumental in preparing the southeast of Queensland for the 2032 Olympics. All right, not it goes. Look, I don't want to go through every... Uh, bit at this stage. I'll, I'll leave some more for later in the program. I'll, I'll get into some of the spending on health, and mental health, tourism, security and women in particular. We'll do that for you very soon. If you'd like to have your say on the budget, you can always send me an email, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au or if you would like to, you can comment on the Facebook page. Plenty of opportunity there. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right. So no matter what, I'm going to get some money. On this Wednesday, nice to have you company. It is the 30th day of March. Marcus Paul in the morning. Let's get back to some of the announcements made last night by the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, in what may be his last budget. Health. Well, over the next four-year forward estimates, Medicare is expected to cost around $126 billion. In the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, health spending is likely to continue to be high on the agenda. And there's no doubt about that when we heard Josh Frydenberg speak to that last night, a 10-year strategic partnership between the federal government, Moderna, and the Victorian government to produce 100 million Australian-made mRNA doses has been announced as part of the $1.5 billion modern manufacturing strategy. A record $58 million in funding was announced prior to the budget to support 800,000 women suffering from endometriosis, which is good news. Now, this money will go to improve diagnosis and primary care support for the disease. The government has also pledged $81 million in funding for Medicare-backed free pregnancy testing for three serious genetic conditions, spinal muscular atrophy, cystic cystic fibrosis and for fragile X syndrome and 
importantly, and this is something that I, yeah, I would have loved to have spoken about yesterday if I felt well enough to do the program, the PBS, the Pharmaceutical Benefit Scheme, it's now set to be expanded to include a life-saving cystic fibrosis treatment drug by the name of Trikafta, which is good news because I learnt previously those that were on this drug, Trikafta, were paying in excess of $20,000 a month for this life-saving treatment. Now, it will cost them, on the PBS, a tiny fraction of that. You know, maybe if they get the drug every fortnight, six bucks each. So that's wonderful news and well done. Look, credit where it's due. Well done to Greg Hunt for listening to uh, those who've been advocating for change in that space. All right, a $51.2 million commitment to fund local cancer drug development has also been announced, as has $2 million over two years to fight motor neurone disease through funding research and development of new treatments. A $375 million new landmark cancer facility will be built in Perth that the Prime Minister described would transform care and support for WA and potentially save thousands of lives. The facility will include 10 operating theatres, intensive care units, hundreds of overnight rooms and cater for on-site cancer research. Again, that gets a tick. Any money that's spent uh, in health gets a tick from me. Over four years, $315 million will be spent on extending the National Ice Action Strategy with an extra $27.9 million put aside to support other critical drug and alcohol treatment projects. All right, moving on to mental health, what was in the budget? An additional $52.3 million will be put towards Lifeline Australia over the next four years that the government anticipates will help the organisation meet the growing level of demand for its support services. $52.3 million toward Lifeline. Under state-based deals to target mental health and suicide prevention, $383 million will be spent over five years for support and services in New South Wales. South Australia will get $128 million and the Northern Territory $43 million. Look, young people with severe and complex mental illnesses will benefit, we're told, from the $206.5 million announced to ensure additional treatment services and support. Now, the early psychosis youth services will continue and be expanded as a part of the government's priority to look after mental health and to also prevent suicide. All right, well, what else was in last night's budget? Well, of course, on tourism, the industry, as we know, has been hit hard by almost two years of international border closures. As a result, the government has committed $60 million to bring back international visitors to the region's hit hardest, including tropical North Queensland. So far as security is concerned, a $86.7 million counter-terrorism strategy that will create a national offenders register to monitor convicted terrorists once they have left jail. And also, so far as women are concerned, the government will spend $189 million over five years to strengthen prevention and early intervention efforts in family, domestic and sexual violence. An additional $104 million has been committed through a technology-focused package, which will include trialling electronic monitoring of high-risk and persistent offenders. 
All right, well, there we go. Uh, that's a, a little synopsis of what's been going on so far as the federal budget's concern handed down last night by the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg. Uh, I didn't want to go into it in too much detail. It's, you know, it's very dry, particularly when you're talking numbers. And hopefully we've been able to crunch through some of the headlines there for you. I think as far as most people are concerned, that one-off payment for those earning up to $126,000 a year... Uh, That is the increase of the tax offset up to $1,500. I think that uh, will benefit most low and middle income earners. And that would be one of the headlines from last night's federal budget. All right, welcome back Wednesday morning. Uh, Look, Labor... Well, they're being challenged to reveal whether they would raise JobSeeker and other working age payments if it wins the federal election. That's after modelling found that lifting the base rate to $70 a day would cost taxpayers an extra $144 billion over 10 years. Look, there's been many advocates, no doubt pressuring trade unions and and Labor in particular, to get that, uh, well, those payments up to above the poverty line, if you like. So I'm not quite sure. Anthony Albanese, to his credit, has been playing his, uh, well, his cards close to his chest, although I do look forward to the budget in reply speech, which will come in the next 24 hours. Now, the questions come as the Greens, who could hold the balance of power in Parliament, yeah, I don't know, they may well do, but we'll see what happens. The Greens are calling for an increase in the base rate to $88 a day. Last month, the number of Labor senators, including frontbenchers, voted in favour of a Greens motion calling on the Morrison government to increase JobSeeker to keep all recipients above the poverty line. In February of last year, opposition leader Anthony Albanese said that everyone should be above the poverty line. I remember he, uh, he made those comments to me as well on my program. He did last year on a number of occasions. But in January of this year, Albo refused to commit to whether or by how much he would raise the payment as Prime Minister, saying that raising the unemployment benefit should be considered in every budget. If Labor wins the upcoming election, it is expected to hand down a fresh budget within weeks of taking office, leading to calls from members of the Morrison government to give voters greater clarity. (laughs) Well, good luck. Why should he? And why should the opposition give you ammunition in which to attack them? That's all you're after. You you know, (laughs) these Morrison MPs say they want greater clarity from Albo and Labor, but in effect what they want is more ammunition to take to them in uh, an election that they are more likely now going to lose. So good luck. Anyway, uh, Finance Minister Simon Birmingham said Labor needs to be upfront and transparent with Australians about what their social security policies will be and how much they will impact the budget bottom line. Well, it's pretty obvious, Burmo. He said that he would lift the rate. Even if it is up to $88 a day, he's t- he said it so many times. Anyway, he goes on to say, if you take Labor's so-called aspirations at face value, they'll be racking up billions and billions of dollars in additional spending on unemployment benefits for every single year into the future. Well, maybe, Mr Birmingham, they might tax 
those big businesses a little more than your mob have. And perhaps not waste Australian taxpayer dollars by ensuring that, I don't know, big businesses kept JobKeeper payments, for instance. Yeah, please. I mean, Simon Birmingham and Josh Frydenberg lecturing on economics when they allow billions of dollars to go to uh, wealthy corporations who made a profit during the pandemic and continue to. Give me a break. Anyway, it's making me cranky, as you can tell. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what the budget in reply will be from Albo's mob in the next 24 hours. Marcus Paul in the morning, if you'd like to have your say, you can do so via email, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au, or you can comment on our Facebook page. Alrighty, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning. Look, uh, as I was off yesterday, I didn't get to have a say on the whole Will Smith and uh, Chris Rock incidents that occurred at the Academy Awards at Oscar, which I think left the awards with a bit of a a black eye uh, and (laughs) more than a bruised ego, which is probably what Chris Rock uh, would have had. Now, I know in the last 24 hours since, every man and his dog has given their opinion, so here's mine. I can understand Will Smith being a, a little unhappy with the comments uh, that Chris Rock made or making a joke of his wife's condition, alopecia, but uh, that's hair loss. But depending on who you read and who you choose to believe, because remember, this is Hollywood, apparently Chris Rock didn't know of Jada Pinkett's um, condition. But I don't know whether that's true. I mean, it's been pretty much everywhere and discussed widely, hasn't it? And Didn't they know each other? Of course he knew. However, you know, isn't the Oscars and, you know, if you you think back to others, other presenters, and I'm no fan, let's be honest, I love watching the movies, but I'm no fan of celebrity, okay? I'd rather talk to the bloke down the street than someone that starred in a movie, that's just me. So I take what celebrities and actors, you know, all of these so-called stars, I take what they say with a grain of salt. But um, normally at these sorts of awards, whether it's Ricky Gervais or, or anybody else, you know, they make jokes. They, they have cracks at some of the, uh, the fragile egos of those who are in the audience. You know, so-called superstars who earn tens of millions of dollars every time they appear on screen. Um, and it's no surprise that Chris Rock made, uh, you know, a joke at the expense. And I didn't even think it was that bad, to be honest. Um, And I think perfectly, uh, to be perfectly honest, I think that uh, Jada Pinkett and Will Smith, who've had their own issues, have they not? Um, You know, with their marriage, it's an open marriage, whatever, who cares? But, you know, they're public people. And Chris Rock made a, uh, a slight reference or a joke, if you like, about her hairstyle, comparing it to that of Demi Moore, who starred in G.I. Jane, and said perhaps she could star in the next G.I. Jane film. You know, so what? Anyway, Will Smith, who I've always been a fan of movie-wise, he kind of disappointed me, uh, to be perfectly honest. I think the better thing to do, to really make your point, if you're that upset about it, Uh, was maybe, you know, grab your wife's hand and just leave the joint, walk out of the Oscars. That, to my mind, would have made a a much greater statement 
than walking up to, uh, to Chris Rock and effectively king-hitting him. I mean, that's what he did. Chris Rock, the last thing Chris Rock was expecting was a full-on smack to the face, open hand as it was. It wasn't a punch, it was a slap, but still, it, it's assault. I mean, so much so that there are concerns now that perhaps after looking back at the incidents, uh, you know, the Oscars or the Academy may well impose sanctions on Will Smith that could affect his movie career and at worst take back his best Oscar, his best uh, actor Oscar. I saw Will Smith uh, play the Williams father, King Richard. I thought he was brilliant. I've seen him in other movies. I think he's wonderful. I like him as a, a comedian in Bad Boys and an action figure and all that sort of stuff, but I'm sorry. I just think that he was way out of line. Way out of line. And, you know, and then the swearing afterwards. I mean, did he not know, not realise that these award ceremonies were being... Of course he did. You know, hundreds of millions of people around the world saw that live and heard him. F this and F that and all the rest of it. It's not a movie. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's my take. I think he would have been much better off had he have just grabbed his wife's hand and walked out. I mean, that, that really would have made a statement because then the Academy wouldn't have had anybody to give the best actor Oscar to. And the winner is Will Smith. He's not there. He left because he was pissed off because the comedian made a joke about his wife. I'm not suggesting that he shouldn't have been upset about it. I guess if it, you know somebody made those sorts of comments about my fiance, soon to be wife, I would be equally as pissed. But I probably wouldn't have walked up and smacked the bloke one. Anyway, what's your take on it? Let me know on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the morning. Wednesday morning, Marcus Paul here. Nice to have your company. Look, if you would like to support what we're doing here um, independently uh, at starterfm.com.au and, of course, Marcus Paul in the morning and the Prawncast, you can become a sponsor. Uh, pretty cheap but effective, I'm told. <laughs> anyway, you'll get me endorsing your business and, and letting my followers and listeners both here on the program, on the podcast and on the Facebook page exactly what your business is all about. And uh, I think it's a, a good opportunity that you may want to take advantage of. So um, I would like to introduce you to the Alternative Board, which is a mob run by, well, including a, a, a bloke that I've met through my work uh, previously at 2SM and, and here at Marcus Paul in the Morning on Starter, run by Greg Urant. So all business owners, it is time to ask yourself a few important questions. As a business owner, you often start with a vision of what your business will allow you to achieve in your personal life. The day-to-day -day realities of running your business takes over, though, and you sometimes lose track of how your hard-working life should be aligned with achieving your personal vision of success. So I want you to ask yourself the following questions. Are you ready to take your business to an entirely new level? Who's in control? You or your business? How are you at balancing your business and personal lives? Do you need help seeing the opportunities that are available to you? Do you feel like you're fighting fires all alone? 
And where do you turn to for the truth about your business? Well, to help answer these and many other important questions, you need the expert advice available from the team at The Alternative Board. The Alternative Board helps forward-thinking business owners increase profitability and improve their lives by leveraging local business advisory boards, private business coaching, and proprietary strategic services. You really must speak to them today. So what are you waiting for? Call Greg and the team at the Alternative Board to learn more about their invitation-only membership model and how it may be able to help you with your business. Connect today. It is your business, so why wait? The Alternative Board is exactly what your business needs now. Call Greg Urand for all the details. 0400-858-190. Again, Greg for all the details. 0400-858-190. That's Greg at The Alternative Board, helping your business be all that it can be. Well, here we are on this Wednesday morning, March 30. Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, I see New South Wales' own infrastructure boss is calling on the Paratay government to think long and hard before committing to any more major projects as concerns mount over the skyrocketing price of construction materials and labour. Well, uh, construction materials and labour, well, the price may well have increased over the last however many long, but also, you know, the current government in New South Wales, or in fact, in fairness, most governments in New South Wales have have a track record of allowing cost blowouts, don't they? Anyway, Chief Executive of Infrastructure New South Wales, Simon Draper, told a a property council lunch the independent body had cautioned the New South Wales government over committing to any more large-scale projects. He said, and I quote, I'll be quite candid that our advice to government is to think long and hard about really big complex projects and at the rates at which we put those on the market. Our advice would be to think more about mid-sized projects and programs of small works. We've got a lot of those big projects already happening, several metro projects, road projects that are already out there, according to Mr Draper. Look, all this comes as both the government and industry voice concerns over the booming cost of construction supplies worldwide, with Infrastructure Minister Rob Stokes earlier this week saying the government had to be weary of significant price escalation. Mr Stokes, who was the state planning minister until December's cabinet shake-up, confirmed the government was assessing projects that are yet to be fully committed to, such as the Beaches Link Tunnel and Stage 2 of the Parramatta Light Rail. Look, I would say to the uh, New South Wales government, scratch them. Maybe not so much the second stage of the Parramatta Light Rail. Get the first stage done first, though, for God's sake. It's already a mess. But this brain fart that is this Northern Beaches link tunnel needs to be scrapped I think anyway Mr Stokes uh, the planning minister said we need to be very sensible and prudent in terms of the projects we now take on to make sure that we take them on at a time right to ensure that we can provide value to the taxpayer 
we will look at all the projects that are currently awaiting investment decisions. Now, Mr Stokes denied any projects in the government's $110 billion infrastructure to-do list would be cancelled, but signalled some of them could be deferred until later. Well, look, the government really hasn't uh, confirmed a, a commitment to building that uh, Beaches Tunnel, the Northern Beaches Tunnel, but they are buying up properties at a, at a rate that worries me. Anyway, I just think the whole thing should be scrapped. One of the challenges that we're looking at in New South Wales and around the world is price escalation caused by supply chain blockages during COVID and challenges to the supply of key workers. All of this is putting inflationary impacts on the cost of goods, plant material and labour, according to the New South Wales government. We're not looking at cancelling anything, rather what we are looking at is recognising that there are significant headwinds in terms of price escalation. We need to be prudent and we need to stage projects at the right time to ensure the right price and value to the taxpayer. What does the opposition say about this? Labor leader Chris Mintz, well, he claimed earlier this week that the government's merry-go-round of infrastructure spending is about to stop. It appears that the government's infrastructure bonanza is coming to a standstill right when Western Sydney needs its fair share of infrastructure spending. When quizzed if Labor would commit to stage two of the Parramatta Light Rail, Mr Min said, we're looking at it very, very closely, but he said a decision would not be made until closer to the state election. Yeah, well, while you're thinking about stage two of the light rail, Minzy, I would also, and I'm pretty sure he's, yeah, I, I, look, I'm, I'm fairly sure he's already said he's not interested, Labor are not interested in supporting this northern, uh, northern bridge, whatever the hell it is, northern tunnel link, uh, because imagine the cost. It would dwarf what the Parramatta light rail is looking at. Anyway, that's my say. What's yours? Marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au Yeah, welcome back. Marcus Paul in the morning on this Wednesday. A little chunk bites of news that uh, hopefully um, you find interesting. Uh, Let me know your thoughts either on the Facebook page, Marcus Paul in the morning, or if you like, you can send me an email. Marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au Well, more than 20,000 people, I see, have signed a petition calling on the New South Wales government to ban mobile phones in public high schools. That's so kids actually spend recess and lunch talking to each other. Kind of like we used to. Try to chat up girls, for instance. No, no, it wasn't me. Uh, Anyway, Education Minister... Sarah Mitchell has ruled out any policy change, though, doubling down on a 2018 decision to allow secondary school principals to set their own rules when it came to mobile phones. Look, we know the devices are banned in public primary schools. The petition was triggered by a Year 7 student who said he had not been able to make new friends because his classmates spent break times glued to their social media apps on their phones. My 12 and a half year old son is struggling to enjoy high school. He was always happy in primary school and is very active and sporty, his mother said in our social media post to the Facebook group North Shore Mums. But he says he hates high school as lunch times are so boring because everyone is on their phones all the time. He wants to run around and play tip or soccer. Oh, really? Well, look, I get that, but I don't know. 
What can you do about it? Nothing. You can't make these kids get off their phones. Well, I suppose you can if you ban them, but who's to say they're going to play soccer anyway? They should be, I agree. Anyway, in response to the petition, uh, the Education Minister, Sarah Mitchell, said she would not issue a blanket ban for secondary schools because she trusted individual principals to get the balance right. She said high schools have the flexibility to set their own mobile phone policy with the majority of high schools in the state having some form of restriction on their use. Now, for instance, they can't be used during lesson time, and nor should they, for goodness sake. While mobiles can be disruptive, students also need to learn how to use their devices responsibly. But North Shore Mums founder Rachel Chappell, who created the petition, said many teachers, parents and students supported a ban. The big problem is the distraction. You're meant to be in class learning. If there is something beeping in your pocket, that's not conducive to that. Well, I agree. I mean, don't don't the mobile phones get put in a box at the uh, at the start of a lesson, shouldn't they? They probably do in some schools, but not all. Anyway, she goes on to say, also, playtime is really important. I remember sitting around with my mates chatting about what is going on in their lives, and if students don't have that opportunity to do that anymore because they're looking at a phone, it's a worry. Well, that is true. You have to consider that uh, the way young people are communicating with each other these days is more a case of, well... Why should I talk to them when I can text them? Which is a shame, because I think people have forgotten how to speak to each other. Anyway, an analysis of mobile phone bans by Carleton University, which is in California, back in 2015 found students at schools which banned mobile phones performed 6% higher in standardised tests at the age of 16. So maybe there is some merit. Macquarie University digital learning expert Gary Falloon said he backs a ban on phones at school but added parents also had a role to play in moderating school behaviour. It's not the technology, it's how it is used that is the problem, he said. Cyberbullying, issues around management of image, self-esteem, trolling, all of these things which happen online which can have significant negative psychological effects. Well, that is true. Mobile phones, eh? I know I'm old, but when I went to high school, no one would have ever thought we'd have the technology that we have available today. And we spoke to each other. And yes, we did play football or handball or whatever it was. But these days are so much different. Uh, If you want to have your say on that, should mobile phones be banned in high school? Should that be a, a, a regulation mandatory across uh, not only New South Wales but other jurisdictions let me know marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au or on the Facebook page yep the day after budget day I guess we'll uh, have to wait to see uh, what Labor's and the federal opposition's response will be to it but of course one of the headlines again hundreds of thousands of Australians will be able to train for skilled jobs across in-demand industries under that major budget boost last night for tradies to fuel our nation's economic recovery. Reducing cost of living measures, of course, were front and centre, including an increase to the tax offset for those earning under $126,000 a year. It's gone up by some $480 bucks to $1,500. Bucks. If you'd like to have your say on that, please do uh, on our Facebook page. Meanwhile, concerns that bullied teenagers are falling through the cracks because of 
poor communication between police and Australia's e-safety watchdog, well, they were first raised at least four years ago and have still not been acted on here in New South Wales. Warning signs were raised as early as 2018 when a Senate inquiry for Commissioner Linnell Briggs found that the Memorandum of Understanding between Federal, State and Territory Police and the eSafety Office needed to be clearer to allow proper enforcement. Despite the many positive working relationships between the eSafety Office, the Australian Federal Police and other police services, more clarity is needed if enforcement arrangements are to work effectively, the review said back then, back four years ago. Bloody bureaucracy, hey? Even though there are memorandums of understanding between the e-safety office and all of the state and territory police services, there is sufficient uncertainty around these arrangements that the various criminal thresholds for referrals to the police and the types of matters referred need agreement nationally. Anyway, in answers provided to questions on notice in this year's Senate inquiry into the social media anti-trolling bill, eSafety Commissioner Julie Inman Grant said that in 2015, the Memorandum of Understanding with Tasmania Police was updated to reflect the eSafety Commissioner's regulatory responsibilities in relation to child cyberbullying and to provide a central notification channel in cases where child cyberbullying reached a serious threshold Similar updates were agreed in 2016 with South Australia, that's South Australia Police, Western Australian Police and Victoria Police, but have not been reached with New South Wales Police. Why the hell not? Labor Federal MP Michelle Rowland slammed the government's inaction on fixing the issue some four years later. Ms Rowland said the change is urgently needed and could save lives like that of Bathurst teenager Matilda Tilly Rosewarn. The 15-year-old was relentlessly bullied by her peers and had doctored nude images shared on social media and a Belgian pornography website. Her case was never referred by police, who failed to find the culprits that created and shared the photos to Commissioner Inman Grant. In letters to the Communications Minister Paul Fletcher, Miss Rowland called for an urgent upgrade to the New South Wales Memorandum of Understanding to prevent other young people falling through the cracks. She said, and I quote, it was deeply concerning to hear the Office of the eSafety Commissioner affirm that a Memorandum of Understanding with the New South Wales Police is in place but has still not been updated, although the process to do so has commenced, as well as describe an ongoing of uh, ongoing lack of clarity about cyberbullying referrals. And on it goes. I mean, surely these bureaucrats need to talk a little better and communicate better with each other. She said it's unacceptable that these cracks, which were identified in 2018, have yet to be filled. Mr Fletcher said the government's Online Safety Act would help teens like Tilly get justice, but hit back at Miss Rowland for trying to score political points. Well, I don't know whether it's trying to score political points. I don't think so. What we want to do is stop young Australians like Tilly from being bullied to death. And if a way to do that is to update memorandums of understanding between New South Wales Police and Federal Police 
and to cut some of the bureaucratic bullshit, then let's get ahead and do it. Don't worry about playing politics on it, Paul. Let's just get on with it and ensure that our kids are safe. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, welcome back. Wednesday, it is the 30th day of March. I've got to be a little careful and tempered in my comments relating to this next story. I was horrified, as I think 99.999% of us were, by the death of this young Newcastle mother, Mackenzie Anderson, which occurred last week. This gorgeous young mum was stabbed more than 20 times and then stomped on the head in an act of final abuse that took her life. Now, this Tyrone Thompson... Remember that name. He allegedly unleashed the horrific attack on his ex-partner at around 10.40pm last Friday. It's been revealed Thompson spent much of Friday with Miss Anderson at her home in the northern suburb of Mayfield, up there in the Hunter, where the pair had been drinking. Police allege the 22-year-old left the property before returning later, at which point he tried to break in... Yep, he tried to break in, that's the allegation, leading to a miss, uh, to a panicked Miss Anderson, who's only 21, to dial triple zero. But by the time help arrived, Miss Thompson had allegedly entered the home and killed Miss Anderson, with police finding her on the front veranda, where she took her final breaths. Thompson was arrested. He was taken to John Hunter Hospital with cuts to his hands, Police sources said that he had since claimed the injuries were suffered at the hands of his alleged victim. Well, of course, that's what he'd say. A young child, a young boy, who was at home at the time of the alleged murder, was found covered in blood by officers when they arrived. Oh, could you just imagine this? Newcastle Police Superintendent Wayne Humphrey described the alleged crime as one of the most horrendous that he'd seen. Superintendent Humphrey's comments came after he watched the body-worn cameras of officers who tried to attend to Miss Anderson. Now, this bloke, Thompson, was on Sunday charged with murder, breaching an apprehended violence order against Miss Anderson and aggravated enter dwelling with intent. The alleged murderer had been released on parole... There you go, 16 days earlier, after serving four months and two weeks of a maximum nine-month nine month sentence for assaulting this young woman, Miss Anderson, last October. Oh, what was she drinking? I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not blaming the victim. You know, it just shows uh, the games that these alleged perpetrators can play. I mean... How on earth did he manage to? He's probably silver-tugged. He probably talked his way into, you know, having a drink with this young woman last Friday before it all turned nasty. Dear, oh, dear, he may. What was she drinking with him? Why didn't she call the cops? It's easy for me to say I understand that. (laughs) And I'm certainly not blaming the victim. Anyway, wearing prison greens, including shorts that exposed his leg tattoos, he gives a shit. Thompson made a brief appearance at Newcastle Court. Uh, He did that uh, on Tuesday. 
He made no application for bail and the matter was adjourned until May 26. He is due to face Hornsby Local Court, though, on an unrelated matter. Charmer. What an absolute charmer. Anyway, got to be careful. It's now before the courts and should the evidence be sufficient, I hope that never again is this bloke able to get anywhere near a potential young victim. Tyrone Thompson is his name, remember it. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back. Uh, Before we go today, I thought I'd have a look at some of the letters uh, that are being sent to newspaper editors. Uh, Lots of boomers yelling at white clouds, but some make some pretty good points, and uh, (laughs) not just boomers, of course. Uh, I enjoy reading the letters to the editor because it's, you know, kind of like talk back in print, if you like. Anyway, Peter from Freshwater in Sydney's North says, Taxpayer art grants to bizarre performers, many of whom promote radical ideology, is nothing but shameful. The Australian Council for the Arts, who bestow the grants on behalf of the government, are the problem. This bureaucratic bunch of art elitists, so says Peter, are rubbing the taxpayers' noses in many of the funding decisions made. Previously publicised grants have included bum puppets, poetic bowel movements, knitting, which questions female and queer representation, and now, of course, we have Harriet Gillies, who ends up naked with something up her butt. Note for the governments. None of these pass the pub test and certainly don't warrant a $50,000 taxpayer-funded cheque. Yes, but does Marcus Paul in the morning, as an independent uh, broadcaster, uh, where do I apply for these grants? I'm creative, arty even, if you like. Anyway, uh, Peter from Canberra in the ACT. He's backing Barnaby, is he? When Deputy Prime Minister Barnaby Joyce tells us the war in Ukraine has given the whole world a reality check and made people realise Australia needs to bolster its own financial security, I believe him. It is more than reasonable when he says people are going to be very pragmatic about how they assess their future and security. They know Australia's security comes from the resources that we are digging up. With more than 30,000 workers in the New South Wales mining industry possibly making the difference in three key marginal seats in the upcoming federal election, and with the ongoing identity crisis facing Labor over coal mining continuing to shroud their judgment and decision-making, my sympathies will always lie with those who are pragmatic in their thinking and come to the dinner table with dirty fingernails. So says Peter in Canberra. All right, that's support for the mining industry and we live in a democracy and we can all have our views. Uh, This one from uh, Jack in Mossman. It seems it has only taken Resilience New South Wales less than two short years to reach the lowland edges of another top-heavy government bureaucracy. To read, there is one executive for every three non-executive staff members may in part explain the the apparent bungling during the northern New South Wales floods. And while it may be prudent practice for some agencies to carry forward unspent monies, a government emergency management agency should in the very least spend its allocated budget in response to particularly severe and record-breaking catastrophes such as the northern New South Wales floods. 
Well, I couldn't agree with you more, Jack. I, I'm with you 100%. Why the hell haven't they spent the money and why is Resilience New South Wales so bureaucratically top-heavy? It's, it's, it's it, it ranks. It really does. whole bloody thing stinks to high heaven. Anyway, Jack goes on to say, but the blame can't just lie squarely with Resilience New South Wales. He writes, I believe New South Wales agencies are permitted to carry budgets forward subject to meeting certain conditions and approval of the Treasurer. Well, let's have a look at the New South Wales Treasury of the last, I don't know, three, four years. The last Treasurer, who's now the Premier. How well did he do with eye care? I think I'll leave it there. All right, uh, what else are people saying in their letters? waterlogged at the top what's this one all about this is steve in chatswood the call for detailed scrutiny of resilience new south wales is on the money the report that reveals there is one executive for every three non-executive staff in the embattled disaster management agency appears contrary to the modern concept of the lean mean and efficient organization it appears there are too many managers too many managers and not enough staff who invariably are the people who do the real work. Yeah, well said. Well said, Steve. I agree with you on that. Uh, Let's have a look here. Uh, Brian. Brian from Central Western New South Wales. I'll leave it on this one. Briefly, my wife and I have just spent three days having a short break in Foster on the New South Wales mid-north coast. Petrol prices between this small coastal resort Never got over 195, or that's $1.95, and we're as low as $1.90. Why are we paying up to $2.09 here on the Central Coast? Makes me wonder who is responsible for keeping prices high. (laughs) Ah, the old petrol price debate. Well, as you know, in the federal budget, there's a bit of relief, a little bit of relief, uh, with a, a cutting back of the excise. Um, not as much as there should be. Why don't you just dump excise completely for six months? No, they won't do that. Marcus Paul in the morning. Nice to have your company on this Wednesday. Eating a meal. A succulent Chinese meal. All right, well, that's it for us today. Uh, Excuse the croakiness. Been a little bit crook. Um, But on the men, which is good news. Now, Prawncast drops a little later. If you'd like to send me a note on any of the content that we've spoken about this morning, any of the stories, maybe you've got a take on the federal budget or on any of the issues that I brought up today, uh, mental health spending, uh, perhaps you're in agreement that Resilience New South Wales is nothing but a bureaucratic, a bureaucratic bloated mess and the money that they're spending on senior executives should well and truly be going to those in flood-affected areas like Lismore, etc., Drop me a line. Let me know. I'm more than happy to put your thoughts across on the program. Marcus.Paul at starterfm.com.au. All right, well, that's it for today. We'll catch up with you again tomorrow with all the news, uh, some bite-sized chunks of issues. I'll give my opinion and try and share yours as well. That's what this is all about, number of platforms. Of course, on Starter FM Live between 7 a.m. and 9 a.m., the iHeart and TuneIn Radio apps, and, of course, on the Prawncast, the podcast on your favourite podcasting platform. We'll be back tomorrow. 
Uh, what is it? The final day of March? Yeah. We're nearly into April. April Fool's Day. A little later this week. I thought last night was April. No, I'm kidding. Budget night. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye now. This will get you the goodies. I like prawns. Do you? Well, I love them. With a bit of um, sauce, in particular cocktail sauce, they go okay. Okay. <laughs>